When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Come on, the doors are on back. Ah, what the? Is there a door behind all those spiders? <laughs> it's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. <sighs> look at how many spiders there aren't. Where should we lie down for eight consecutive hours first? Relax, you booked a Verbo. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Yeah. Fool me, we can't get fooled again. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. We have a very special episode. I got a chance to interview Governor Gary Johnson. Uh, he is the uh, he was a two term governor of New Mexico, and he's currently the Libertarian candidate for president. It was a big deal for me, so it was extremely exciting. I think you guys will like it. Let's go listen to the interview now. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. Uh, we're honored to have today's guest. He was the governor of New Mexico from 1995 to 2003. In the first six months of office, he vetoed 200 bills of the 424 that crossed his desk. He shrunk the size of government by 10% and repealed a six-cent gasoline tax, helping uh, the state to reach a billion-dollar surplus by the time he left office. It is a true honor to welcome Governor Gary Johnson to the show. Oh, Ben, great being with you. And, you know, when you, when you hear you vetoed that much legislation, really, you know, legislation for the most part just adds time and money to our lives. Uh, look, I was always open to making things better. I mean, yeah. every single analysis I did when it came to legislation was Will this make things better or bottom line? Is it just going to add time and money to our lives is, or is it going to spend money in ways that, uh, that really isn't going to make any difference in any of our lives? And right. um, really, I think I think what speaks volumes is the fact that uh, in a state that's two to one Democrat, uh, um, I got reelected by a bigger margin the second time than the first time. And I just think yeah. that that speaks to uh, good stewardship of tax money. Oh, it's absolutely remarkable. And speaking of making things better, I want to ask, what is compelling you to run right now seeking the Libertarian uh, nomination for the presidency of the United States? What is compelling you to run right now for the highest office in the land? Well, from a from a personal standpoint, I, I have to believe that being president of the United States may, may be one of humankind's uh, greatest experiences. Right. Um, and, then, and then outside of that... I think I would actually do a really good job, and I do base that on having been an entrepreneur my entire life, having served two terms as governor and very successfully in a state that's two to one Democrat, mm -hmm. serving as a Republican, and uh, and um, I'm an I'm an athlete, which very simply just I know what it is to put one foot in front of the other. Uh, I know what it is to experience defeat, and ultimately success is uh, is gauged on how you deal with defeat yeah you can either give yeah. up or you can just recognize that that's part of the process and keep on going yes you have ran more marathons than i've watched on television and i've watched three which is very <laughs> impressive so we know what your we know what your uh public record is tell us a little bit about your private sector life because not a lot of people might know about uh, your history uh with business and how that will well, impact uh, you I, I, 
I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. So, uh, you know, I was throwing newspapers uh, at, at 12. You know, I was uh, going out knocking on doors when the snow was falling, shovel off walkways. And in the fall, I'd go and knock on doors and rake leaves. But um, I, I've paid for everything that I've had in my life since I've been 17 years old. Mm. And so uh, at 18 years old, the highest paying jobs were construction jobs. And I actually... Uh, got on a got on a crew where we built the house from the ground up i mean we did the concrete we did the we helped with the electrical the plumbing you know we fr- did framing anyway based on that yeah. uh, hey 21 years old i'm capable of building a house so i start a one-man handyman business me mm. and actually over a 20-year period i grew that business to employ over a thousand people and it wasn't handyman it was electrical mechanical plumbing pipe fitting uh, I, I learned uh, the the art of hiring and firing. It's really easy to hire. It's horribly hard to fire. But if you right. can't fire, you're out of business. And then the magic of uh, of profit sharing. You, yeah. You share in the profits, and guess what? You got a much much bigger pie. Uh, and so e- everybody comes out ahead when you share in profits. But right. And then showing up on time, uh, doing what you say you're going to do. Um, I sold that business in 1999. Uh, nobody lost their job, mm. and uh, they went on to new heights. So, and um, uh, money for me uh, has always represented freedom, uh, yeah. not things. There's only so many things you can have in life, and you know, freedom is about being able to do what you want to do, what you want to do, when you want to do. It doesn't take that much money. I think people get so caught up in more and more and more money when at the base of it all isn't it really your freedom right i mean it's absolutely remarkable i can't even build a lego castle never could i would always i would just end up eating the bricks <laughs> but uh, I, and we will talk about donald trump in a little bit and hillary clinton and obviously as donald trump simply brands and puts his name on buildings that already have existed he doesn't understand how to actually pour concrete or uh, hammer a nail such as you do i just want to ask quickly just to give our audience a sense of who you are as a person where did you get your moral compass from because it seems like you have a great authenticity and a true desire to help the greater good you know so much of that moral compass has to do with um well you know you you grow up as a christian and then uh, boy scouts amazingly uh, you know cub scouts boy scouts uh Athletics, organized athletics. I did every single sport. Right. There wasn't a sport that I didn't do, and I ended up dropping off of sports when uh, when I didn't start anymore. Oh yeah. You know what? I can I can move on to something else. Welcome to my world, Gary. <laughs> the only six foot seven basketball I, player I, riding the pines. I am the I am the absolute jack of all, master of none. <laughs> What's so interesting is hearing you discuss, uh, you know, your your fitness routines and what a healthy personality, uh, what a what a healthy person you are, and such a jovial personality. How did you adapt your stance? on drugs, uh, specifically marijuana, which you're uh, an advocate for, uh, definitely when it comes to the legalization, and uh, to some degree, I would assume the use of, of, of people, you know, the ability for people to use it freely without the without the concern of being imprisoned for uh, smoking her, uh, a herb. When did you become, when did you uh, begin to evolve on drug issues, or were you always very open to the idea that we should live in a society where drugs are treated as a mental health uh, issue and not a criminal justice issue 
Well, uh, for me, when I was 17 years old and smoked pot for the first time and the revelation that, holy cow, the government surely has sure been lying about this and what else have they been lying about? And then I remember in uh, high school, uh, I remember a, a police de- Albuquerque police detective coming to class and and lighting up a marijuana smell-alike kind of thing. And, <laughs> Hey, if you smell it, if you smell this, run and uh, and we're gonna get you. And I remember raising my hand and saying, "Hey, uh, you know there are a hundred million people. Uh, this is back in 1971. Mm-hmm. Hey, there are a hundred million people that have done marijuana. Are you gonna put them all in jail?" He said, "I don't know about the hundred million. He's pointing his finger at me. But if you do it, we're gonna get you, and you're going to go to jail." Right. Well. Right. That was that was my start, and then uh, uh, elected governor of New Mexico. And, and the fact that this is that this has gotten worse, not better. In 1971, right. uh, I, there was no way that in 2016 the country wasn't going to have legalized marijuana. There mm-hmm. was just no way. Are you unimpressed with the progress that we've made in this nation? Yes, I am, uh, and and it all lies really uh, in pol- in the political leaders that we've elected. In 1999, I was the highest elected official in the United States to call for the legalization of marijuana. Mm -hmm. 2016, I'm still the highest elected official in the United States to call for the legalization of marijuana, although Bernie Sanders uh, has come on board, uh, I guess, with the start of this presidential campaign. And I think that that's part of... uh, Part of the lure of, of being behind Bernie. Mm-hmm. But in 1999, 30, statistically, 30% of Americans supported legalizing marijuana. In 2016, now 60% of Americans support legalizing marijuana recreationally. And yet there isn't a, outside of Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. elected currently, there is not one single congressperson, senator, or governor in the whole country that uh, supports legalizing marijuana, and yet 60% of Americans support it. What a disconnect. But that disconnect right. has, has, has been there all, you know, going back to the 70s. It's a political boogeyman. Mm-hmm. I've always, and I'm speaking <laughs> to an audience, I'm sure, that, that understands this completely. Yes. Look, marijuana is safer than alcohol. Yes. Uh, yeah, I haven't had a drink of alcohol in 29 years. Wow. Um, but occasionally I do use marijuana products, and it's, for me it's always been so much safer. And look, why should we begrudge anyone um, the ability to take the edge off, if you will, as long as taking the edge off uh, doesn't uh, harm other people? Right. And we'll get out of the marijuana uh, drug argument here in a second, because I, on- I honestly want to talk to you about foreign policy and some domestic things uh, here as well, because you are C- you have- you're you at 4% right now in the polls. There's, there's a good chance you get 5% uh, or above in this in the in this election cycle, or dare I say you even win, Governor. Um, but just quickly... Well, no, and, and I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Fox for the first time two days ago puts me in a poll and I'm at 10% nationally. And that was before the uh, Bill Weld announcement, which, which is beyond my wildest dreams that uh, Bill Weld would be hitching his wagon to this whole uh, effort, which is just extraordinary. Like I say, I'm just ecstatic. Well, you know, William, William F. Buckley was not wrong to call you a true conservative, and there's a reason that he loved you. I think that you are a true conservative in many ways in this race, and we're going to get to that in one second. I just want to say quickly, when it comes to uh, marijuana, when it comes to the war on drugs, 
we we oftentimes think about it in 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 terms of oh hippies just want to get stoned or hipsters want to get high whatever we live in a lazy generation but what is the actual institutions behind the war on drugs that make it so nefarious and make it so impossible to get any legislation passed that would rationalize our drug laws between the prison industrial complex and the health community big pharmaceuticals i'm referring to well, I don't think that uh, pharmaceuticals have actually woken up to this. And uh, hey, for a second, on pharmaceuticals, yeah, uh, marijuana products directly compete with prescription drugs, painkillers, yes. antidepressants that statistically kill 100,000 people a year. There has not been one documented death due to marijuana. So Which, if come you- on, I mean, pharmaceuticals, are, I, I think, are going to more than wake up to this. Uh, but, uh, hey, what are the institutions behind it? The political institutions. It's elected mm. uh, politicians that to this day uh, uh, won't entertain the notion of uh, legalizing marijuana. And yet behind closed doors, probably a majority of them now. But uh, in public, hey, one, Sanders. Uh, the other one, me. Mm-hmm. Would you, if you were president of the United States, would you hold big pharmaceutical companies, um, would you hold them accountable for the unbelievable amount of death that they have caused? I mean, just looks at look at OxyContin alone. The reason that Indiana has to have a needle share program is because people got hooked on Oxy, they went to heroin, they started using intravenous drugs, and now there's an AIDS epidemic. Would you hold big pharmaceutical companies accountable the same way that we did big tobacco in the 90s? Well, by by accountable, I mean this 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 runs deep. Uh, this is this is what's available for pain relief. They've provided it, but uh, doctors play a role in this also. Western right. medicine plays a role in this. I don't know if there's any. Uh, well, not. I, I don't think there's any criminal indictment here, but it's but it's uh, it's an atrocity. It's an atrocity that. Uh, you know, wake wake up, America! Wake up, America! There are mm-hmm. alternatives when it comes to health care, and we should all be allowed to to seek the relief, whatever gives us relief. And in this case, marijuana, <laughs> no documented deaths. Come on, right. come on. Do you are you happy with the way that the healthcare system is being run right now at the federal level? Would you consider uh, Obamacare, which has been sort of um, rebranded as an endearing uh, reference towards our president, do you feel as that as if that has been a success, or do you think that's stifling small businesses? Well, it, it, it's stifling free market approach to healthcare. Healthcare is about as far removed from free market in this country as it possibly could be, and. Uh, in in that context, look, in a free market approach to health care, we would not have insurance to cover ourselves for ongoing medical need. We would have insurance to cover ourselves for catastrophic injury and illness, and we would pay as you go in a system that would probably cost about one-fifth of what it currently costs. We would have gallbladders are us. <laughs> offering gallbladder surgery at thousands of dollars as opposed to yeah. tens of thousands of dollars. We would have stitches are us. We would have x-rays are us. Mm. We would have uh, radiologists next to x-rays are us reading those x-rays. Point right. being, we would pay as you go. It would be very affordable. Um, like I say, that's about as far removed from what we're currently doing as possible. So I'm looking to get elected president of the United States. That's what I'd like to see. But as president of the United States, at the end of the day, 
you either get to sign legislation or you get to veto legislation. Mm-hmm. Just count on me to sign anything that makes things better. Uh, count on me to veto anything that makes things worse well, yeah. or, or maintain status quo or adds time and money to our lives. They nicknamed you Governor Vito for a reason, and it's not because you're Italian. <laughs> uh, I will. Uh, well, uh, I, I may have, uh, you know, Ben, I may have vetoed more legislation than the other 49 governors in the country combined. Yeah. Uh, I vetoed 750 bills outright, mm-hmm. and I had thousands of line item vetoes. You would think in a state that's two to one Democrat, you would think that I would have gotten ridden out on a rail. But right. uh, I think everybody saw a consistency in it yeah. all. and. Everybody saw that actually government was uh, was running um, better and there were fewer people doing it. Right. Now, that's an interesting thing about government, because obviously, uh, while you were governor, you did believe the government had a role to play in education. Um, so before we go to, uh, you know, what I think I want to hear your worldview on where we should go, uh, what our world, what, what the United States's role should be in the world. But just briefly on education, because I think that Common Core has been an absolute nightmare dictating what school districts can do uh, from a federal level is insane. But you actually gave, I believe it was a third increase to the education budget, uh, budget in New Mexico. And then you ended up going with a voucher uh, program. Well, I, I did increase funding for education, and that was something that I promised that I would do. And for all that increase in funding, uh, the results, um, you know, all, all the results pointed to less and less uh, results, and yet more and more, more money was put into it. Mm-hmm. So I'm an advocate when it, when it comes to education for a free market approach to education, vouchers, giving people choices getting the federal government out of education right very quickly the the federal department of education gives each state 11 cents out of every school dollar that every state spends Mm. but it comes with 15 cents where the strings attached people don't realize that because of common core for example because of now the fact that uh, we're going to have to provide a third uh, bathroom in in all uh uh educational uh buildings uh now it's going to be you're going to get the 11 cents but you're going to have to pay 16 cents for it and with the federal department of education was not established under george washington it was established under jimmy carter and Mm. tell me what has been value added since jimmy carter yeah i mean and of course the third bathroom thing you're referring to is a gender neutral gender neutral bathroom that the obama administration just proposed if student if schools want to receive funding they'll have to um they will have to uh Put those in place. So you would get rid of Common Core if you were the president of the United States. This would be would this be well, a if, core concern could, for you? If I could wave a magic wand, I would yeah. abolish the Federal Department of Education, which in essence uh, uh, does away with Common Core. Leave education up to the states. Right. Uh, I uh, uh, fifty laboratories of uh, innovation and best practice, and I'm willing to bet anything that you would have fabulous success in states where more and more choice could actually play a role in education. Right. Yeah. So obviously, because of your you have a small government stance domestically, uh, let's just go overseas. I, I apologize. I, you know, I just don't get to talk to a presidential candidate that often. So I, I want to get as, <laughs> as much information as possible. Well, you, you could, you, when you, when you, people listening will understand how special it is. And I, I mean, it's not that uh, I'm um, <laughs> Anyway, thank you for the compliment, but yes. uh, I'm, a, I'm a regular guy. And the imperial uh, presidency, the notion that this presidential travel that costs 
tens and mil- of millions of dollars for the president to go anywhere, you know, endless motorcades uh, right. taking over of entire hotels, snarling cities when it comes to travel. Yeah. How about the notion of parking that that big old Air Force One and making mm-hmm. that a little more efficient? Just slip into town and go to your event. That's me if I get elected. Under President Gary Johnson, he'll drive a Yugo or a VW Bug, and that's it. No secret yeah, service and, needed, and 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 uh, you know black black out the windows or you know tint the windows. Right, so you can't right. see who's inside, and I'll just I'll just show up in the bug. It'll be amazing. Uh, so quickly <laughs> uh, about foreign policy. Obviously, this election is going to be huge. We just had what ha- uh, when it comes to foreign policy, specifically the fight against terrorism. We just had what happened in uh, in Egypt yesterday. Uh, Donald Trump tweeted out, "It's terrorism, no doubt about it. It's terrorism." It turns out he might be correct. Um, and and of course, Hillary, uh, the woman who put us into the Iraq War, who did nation building in Libya, she's more hawkish than anybody else running in this election, in my personal opinion. What is your stance on the U.S.'s role when it comes to combating ISIS? Do you have any bullet points uh, that you could just spit at us really quick? Well, the the, the spitting bullet points is why has Congress abdicated its responsibility to to put us into war, to to have an open debate and discussion over foreign policy and what it is we're doing. They've abdicated that responsibility to the president because they don't want to make the decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've abdicated it to the military. So he, here it is. These mili- Look, I'm a skeptic. When it comes to these military, and we do have a very real terrorist threat, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to diminish that either. If we're attacked, we're going to attack back. But when we militarily intervene, boots on the ground, dropping bombs, flying drones that are killing thousands of people, um, I think there is an uh, unintended consequence of all of that that ends up at the end of the day making things worse, um, not better. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest threat in the world right now is North Korea and the fact that at some point uh, Kim is going to have intercontinental ballistic missiles that work. Mm-hmm. So how about the notion of diplomacy to the hilt? Look, uh, let's join with China to address this because China recognizes this more than anyone else. And I'm not talking about a military intervention on the part of the United States. China needs to step up and address this situation. So so much talk about unifying the Koreas. Uh, South Korea, 70% of their trade goes to uh, China. There's no trade coming out of North Korea. Mm-hmm. You've, got, you've got a guy with uh, nuclear weapons, and uh, look, that's, that's the biggest threat that exists. But how about Congress being involved in this, and uh, how about a national debate and discussion over everything it is that we do militarily? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It seems like Congress has been passing the buck for many, many years when it comes to our foreign policy. The wars overseas seem to continue, and Congress sort of washes the, their hands of them uh, because they're constantly seeking re-election and don't want to have an actual record. Is that correct? Well, you're giving Congress more credit than than is due. They have absolutely they have they've had nothing to do with it. They've they've purposely taken themselves out of it because, of course, that would somehow mean that they would actually have to step up and uh, and state their preferences on this and and if they do that well you know what the american people are are just as skeptical as i am right and uh and we would have a change in policy or we would have a directed policy we would have a policy that people would be unified around as opposed to uh the executive action that uh, that the president and uh, the military are exerting 
Right. So when Donald Trump says that he'll sit down with Kim Jong-un, I mean, everybody freaks out uh, as if it's one of the most preposterous notions they've ever heard. What do you think when you hear him say something like that? And does that reflect at all something that you would consider doing if you if you sat in the Oval Office? Well, uh, look, I, I think this is a Chinese issue. Uh-huh. Um, and I think they're the first ones that understand that. Uh, um, watching these, um, I, I don't see anything productive out of the president of the United States sitting with, down with this guy. This, to mm-hmm. me, that brings a legitimacy to him that uh, the Chinese are going to be the first to recognize. You know, an, another thing, Ben, is uh, the uh, NSA is an executive order mm. from Truman, 12333. How about an executive order that immediately turns the satellites away, the spy satellites away from you and I mm. as U.S. citizens and turning those abroad to uh, to um, our, our declared enemies? Right. I mean, <laughs> due process. Yeah. Uh, well, go in, 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 what, what have we come to? I mean, yeah. this is this is 1984. This is Orwellian when when it comes to uh, the government spying on you and I. That the war that our government has, uh, uh, you know secretly waged against everybody. Right. I mean, I completely agree with you. That's one of the great ironies of the Obama administration. Everyone praises him for quasi-closing Guantanamo Bay, but in reality, he's able to close it or get it uh, near uh, much less than capacity, obviously. There's only a few people there now. It's because he's murdering people without due process on the battlefield via drones. If you were a president, would you end the drone program? Yes, I would. I, I think that the I, I think that the drone program is having unintended consequence of of killing thousands of people. That's at the end of the day making the situation worse, uh, not better. And as president of the United States, you, there, there are there are no absolutes. But uh, let let's start with just being an absolute skeptic right. on what it is that we're doing and um, and the results uh, from it. Yeah, and, and and I know you have to get out of here. Thank you so much for uh, for spending a little time with me. Um, but just but just quickly, um, when it comes to the olive branch to uh, conservatives, obviously you're a former Republican, uh, now libertarian. And what what could you tell the conservatives who are looking for an option other than Donald Trump and uh, and and moderate uh, Democrats who are looking for an option other than Hillary Clinton? Why should they go uh, and vote for Gary Johnson? Well, that 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 is the Gary Johnson package. Look, uh, no one no one has been proven more fiscally conservative than me. I'm the small government guy. And, and it's proven. And I'll just yeah. put the vetoes up when it comes to that. And when it comes to civil liberties, when it comes to you and I being able to make choice in our own life, isn't that fundamental? Isn't that what this country is all about? Liberty and freedom, as long as those choices don't harm others, then uh, moving on to the military. Look, we, we are all skeptical when it comes to the military and what is happening and yet we also want to be effective uh, in this fight against terrorism. But right now, there, there is, it is just capricious. It is the executive, um, it's the military, and we all sit back and uh, have no say in it whatsoever. So yeah. uh, I think that those three factors are a unique package that uh, in this election, it, it, it's me 
Uh, I hope Bill Weld uh, ends up getting, I hope I get the nomination running for yeah. the Libertarian Party, which is next weekend, and I hope Bill Weld gets the same running for vice president. Yeah. And, and lastly, when it comes to compromising governance, we've had eight years of just stagnant, nothing happening. Uh, therefore, Obama has been forced to sign some executive orders. I think he's also relatively flippant, flippant when it comes to signing executive orders. When it comes to compromise, for example, in New Mexico, you did allow two private prisons to come uh, to come in, which wasn't necessarily something that uh, you, you really wanted to do, but you thought that was for the greater good of the state. What is your, what is your um, philosophy on political compromise? If it makes things better, count on me. One of the biggest surprises that I had, uh, having never been involved in politics before, I really thought that at the end of the day, Republicans joined hands with Democrats when it came to a good idea. Well, guess what? Mm. They line up on political dogma, ideology, and at the end of the day, a good idea doesn't survive because the Democrats are against it or the Republicans are against it when, in fact, it's a good idea. So just count on me when it comes to a good idea I, i'm gonna be there yeah. and if i if i if i'm not gonna support something i'm gonna clearly state my reasons and um i think uh, a libertarian as president of the united states could actually uh challenge both republicans and democrats to do what they're supposed to be good at right small government there's so republicans are supposed to be good about small government well that sure isn't happening and and uh, Democrats are supposed to be good on civil liberties. Well, in this case, Hillary, you, you, mm. you mentioned it earlier. It, hasn't she been the architect of uh, uh, of, of foreign policy right now that uh, intervening? Yeah, absolutely. So you would say one of your greater when it, when it, one of the points of pride for you is being able to bridge the gap between uh, both political parties and just try to get rational policy through. Based on me being at the end of the day just a common sense cat. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> hey, great being on with you. I love it. Thank you so much, Governor. It was such an honor. All right. Okay. Fine. Thank you. We'll talk right. to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. That was Governor Gary Johnson. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, all right, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. All right. That was it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Go to the Facebook page. Let me hear your thoughts. Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Ben Kissel. Follow Marcus Parks on Twitter at Marcus Parks. He's also on Instagram at Marcus Parks. And uh, I'm excited to hear your thoughts about the interview. We'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.